0: Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for October has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is Scott McNulty. He's a writer, a podcaster, and the director of communications for the IT department of one of the top business schools in the world. How's it going, Scott?
1: It is going very well. How are you, Brett?
0: I'm good. Uh, Did I? Oh, I did say podcaster in your intro. I am a podcaster. It's true. I almost forgot. Uh,
1: No, I didn't forget forget that you were. No,
0: that's not what I meant. I almost (laughs) forgot to say it. Even though when I think of you, I actually think of you as a writer and a podcaster, like first and foremost. But you were also my uh, my editor. My first
1: time when I first started at the unofficial Apple weblog. That's right. I was I was running that blog for a while there and we were very happy to have you on board. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. I I I'm, I'm still part of it? I know
0: I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you, You've outlived <laughs> me. We, we'll talk about why that is in a little bit. Um so your day job, Director of Communications, uh what what does that entail?
1: Well, so we. I'm an IT. I'm in the IT department uh, at this kind of large school, and we have many constituencies. We offer lots of services, so it's my job to figure out how to best communicate to those folks what we offer, uh, and also to figure out how we can internally communicate and collaborate so that we can, you know, deliver the best things to everybody.
0: And uh, you you mentioned in the brief show that one of the things that you've done recently is improve documentation.
1: Yes. So, IT people uh, and and the people I work with are all very smart folks, uh, but they all generally hate writing, uh, and so they really don't want to spend the time to write documentation, uh, which I can understand. Uh, I'm one of the crazy people who actually likes to write documentation, so uh, I guess I'm against the flow there. But so, we we had a platform where we had an internal MediaWiki installation where most of our documentation lived. And that was fine for a while because we had uh, that one kind of person who was really excited about MediaWiki, <laughs> so they would spend you know extra time setting it up and helping people get stuff, uh, working in it, because MediaWiki has its very specific kind of, uh, it uses the wiki markup and it can be a little confusing. Uh, and I hated it, really. <laughs> uh, and so I decided that we should move to something else. Uh, and as a director, since I'm the director of communications, I get to decide these things. Uh, and luckily, we had purchased, uh, we used the Atlassian stack uh, for our development stuff. So, And Atlassian has this lovely product called Confluence that's all about helping teams work together. Uh, so we migrated everything from MediaWiki to this new Confluence installation. Uh, but actually, we didn't migrate everything because I made the choice uh, to manually migrate only things that people wanted Uh, because I figured if we did like an import of all the crap that was in MediaWiki, because one of the main problems was everything was getting out of date in MediaWiki, and I didn't want to just basically transfer all this out-of-date crap into our new solution and then have everyone say, well, our documentation's done, because it's already in there. So uh, I I made people manually move stuff. Uh, And luckily... Uh, For me, that was kind of risky because uh, people are like, "Well, I don't know if anyone's going to put anything in there." Uh, People did, and people continue to do it, especially since uh, we're going to shut off MediaWiki soon, so no one will be able to access stuff that's only in MediaWiki.
0: Nice. Uh, Um, You have to scare them. Yeah, I I I was just looking into Confluence recently. Um, It's uh, I I always for my personal documentation, I've always used Clarify and Mm -hmm. uh, ScreenSteps. From Blue Mango. Have you ever seen those?
1: I've used it. I really like that product.
0: Yeah, I like them for the same reason, because you can maintain kind of a living document.
1: Exactly. So Confluence does all the the, the wiki stuff you would think. It does revisions and it lets you mention people. And uh, one of the biggest wins for us is that it integrates with Jira, which is an issue tracker uh, that we use extensively. So the developers are living in Jira and they can link pages from Confluence directly to Jira issues. And they can drop Jira issues right into Confluence pages. And that will just automatically create a link between the two things. So it's really that integration has really helped us. That's cool. I, uh, there's, a, a,
0: there's no denying that a, a well-organized, well-written document, instruction, like step-by-step kind of thing, mm-hmm. is better than having to search issues and posts and questions. Um, is there, like, any process – let me see how I want to say this. Like, for me, when I find the answer to something I've been looking for, if I'm, like, out researching on the web – I, I have multiple tools to store and search those answers later and compile them into actual documentation. Mm-hmm. Does, does, does your Confluence system allow for thing, building readable,
1: organizable documentation organically? Uh, It does. We haven't deployed uh, that aspect yet. Our first goal was to just get our documentation in there. Uh, My next kind of forward-looking goal is to do, kind of make it more organic, like you said, and build it into the process, because IT folks are really great at solving problems, uh, but then they kind of just, the problem solved, and they stop thinking about it, and they go on to the next problem. And I want to add one step between problem solved, next problem, and, you know, document the solution, uh, which could be, you know, links to whatever you found on Google or, you know, Microsoft's knowledge base or something like that, and get that all into Confluence. Uh, and, And I want to make a culture where, you know, it doesn't have to be complete and perfect to put in Confluence, just get it in there. At the very least, someone can come along, probably me or someone who works for me, and format it and make it, look pretty and readable uh, but just get the stuff in there because that's the important thing nice
0: i did you see my answered bookmarklet i did not it's uh it's a bookmarklet that when you're on a stack exchange site and mm. you find the answer you were looking for you can just click it in your browser and it will store the answer and all necessary metadata into NVLD or or whatever markdown app you want oh. um and and for me like that's when I find like just a, a pile of links is less useful to me than a searchable index. And so I, that's I love actually <laughs> just clicking on the answers I find and having them automatically indexed for
1: me. Well, I may have to steal this idea and make a, a confluence version of that for our internal usage because that's brilliant.
0: Yeah, they're, they have like their own version of like Markdown, like humane text, don't they?
1: Uh, they do, and I think they, they support Markdown as well in uh, Confluence. So you can use whatever flavor you like.
0: So you say you like writing documentation, and okay. uh, you've written a lot of books, like full
1: books. Full, real, you can go into a bookstore and see them books, it's true. I think I'm on my most recent book is maybe number nine, which is crazy. Seven, seven, eight,
0: you have like 11 on your Amazon page.
1: Well, so some of them are are not really books. One of them is uh, we took the first chapter of one of the books and sold it as uh, like a $2 download before the book was done. Uh, another one I wrote, I was really excited. I've always been a Mac guy, so I really wanted to write a book about the Mac. Uh, but uh, my first several couple books were not about the Mac. My first book was about WordPress, which I also liked. Um, but then when I got the opportunity to write a book about uh uh, what was it? OS 10 Lion, I think. Uh, I was so excited that I basically wrote twice as much as we needed. <laughs> so we had to cut half of the pages that I wrote. And so we decided to then break them up into like a five or six uh, little individual things you could buy for like a dollar on Kindle or uh, whatever Barnes & Noble is calling their ebooks. So that number might be slightly inflated, but there are like nine real books.
0: So did this uh, did this splitting up and selling individually thing work out financially? Or was it an improvement?
1: Was it an improvement? No. Well, it depends on how you define. Wait, better than workout. nothing, right? <laughs> well, yes. So the publishing industry. I don't know if many people know how someone makes any money on a book, um, and probably uh, it's very rare for tech books. Uh, So here's how, let me explain how it works before I get into uh, how much money I've made from my books. Uh, So, you know, uh, a publisher says, hey, Scott, uh, do you want to write a book about WordPress? And I'll say, sure. And then we agree on uh, an advance. Uh, And so you get, you know, well, let's just pick a number. Uh, Here's a $100 advance, which is not what the advances are, but (laughs) 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 because that would be very sad. Um, uh, And so basically, that advance is a payment, but it is uh, an advance on your royalties. Right, uh, because the publisher always has to make their money back first before the author gets any additional money. Right, so you get an advance. You write your book. Uh, your contract points out uh, what your percentage royalties is. Uh, usually somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to twelve percent, uh, and then that changes based on format. Actually, so you can probably get a better percentage with eBooks. Uh, and this is all different if you're self-publishing because then Amazon has different deals. But whatever, this is if you're going through a traditional publisher. Uh, and then your book is out in the world; it's very exciting. People buy it, uh, and then you have to earn back your advance. So the the publisher has to recoup the money they gave you first, based on sales. And then, if after you earn out that advance, then you might get some royalty checks. You do through that time, you get royalty statements, which are. Uh, can be depressing because you see how much money you're not making. Yeah. Uh, But you always get to keep that royalty unless you don't finish the book, that advance, I should say, Uh, then they might ask for it back. So that's a long winded answer to say I didn't make any money off of those eBooks, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) I did, uh, I did a couple videos for uh, a publisher and I got advances and I get those royalty statements and I'm slowly getting back to breaking even on the advance, but I don't, Think it'll ever be profitable
1: for me? No, and I write. I mean, I really like my publisher. They've been very nice to me, and uh, I'm not saying anything bad about them. Uh, but I have, uh, since I have written nine books, they've given me nine advances, uh, and so I get a huge envelope <laughs> full of my royalty statements every quarter, uh, and it's always a very depressing read <laughs> because tech books uh, don't have a long shelf life, and if you don't pick the right subject. Uh, people aren't going to buy the book. Uh, So it's it's a bit of a crapshoot on their end and my end as well. I mean, they're taking a risk as well. I don't want to lighten what they're doing, but. I bought your WordPress book. Uh, You did? when it came out, I bought it. Well, thank you. And that that was so exciting. Not that you bought it, but I'm thankful you did Uh, because that was my first book and it was a, a marginal success. I earned back my royalty, my advance, uh, within the first three months. And I got like a, 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 to me, it was like a gigantic royalty check the next time. So I was so excited. And I thought, well, this is just how being a tech author is. I can quit my <laughs> job. I can write tech books. Uh, and then sadly my next book introduced me to the cold reality of, uh, tech book publishing. And that my first book was, uh, an anomaly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said, it all depends on the, the topic you pick and, Just because something's of interest enough to you to write a book about, doesn't mean there's an audience big enough to make it worthwhile. Exactly. And I think,
1: luckily for me, when I wrote my WordPress book, um, there were plenty of WordPress books out there, but my WordPress book was kind of um, targeted at a different market. And it was just when, kind of I I hate this term, normal people, but when normal people were figuring out WordPress and trying to run it on their own uh, servers... uh, and so my book hit right when I think, kind of pop culture—maybe not pop culture, but mainstream culture—understood that there was this thing called WordPress, and maybe you should learn about it. Uh, and so people were excited. Uh, my subsequent books have not uh, been as well timed, sadly. <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna keep plugging at it. Do, do you do you eventually see quitting your job and becoming a writer? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the path for me. I have uh, I am married to a lovely woman who is in fact an author as well. She's a cookbook author uh, and she does that full time. Uh, she's a food writer and uh, it, it shows me cookbooks are very difficult to write and a very different beast. Uh, also – her books are much more popular than my books ever were. So uh, she has a very different experience with royalties than I do. She has happy experience with royalties. but uh.
0: I know people who do. I, like, I've self-published. Um, uh, I did a book with David Sparks on mm. iTunes, uh, iBooks, iTunes. what do they call it? The iBook store? Yeah. Yep. Um, that actually, that was profitable and almost painless.
1: That's what you want.
0: Yeah. I uh, it, well, I mean, there's no advance, so it's all work up front. Right. That's the, the downside. But yeah, I really, I liked that experience and I will do it again.
1: And I I am curious about that uh, experience and I would like to do that. And I had an idea for a book that I could self-publish myself. And I just said, well, I should, you know, ask my editor. Uh, Peach Pit is the publisher that I uh, hey, work me with. Me too. Oh, there you go. And I said, you know, if you are interested, I, I'm going to self-publish this book. I don't want you to be surprised uh, when I write it. And they were like, oh, don't do that. We'll pay you to do it. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. So they, they pay me to write. it. So I, I, I am not enough of a risk taker to turn down that guaranteed royalty uh, advance. Uh, but yeah. I am curious about self-publishing.
0: We're very different in that regard. <laughs> I, I quit a job I liked.
1: Yeah, that's uh, – that, what, what made you quit the job that you like? Just you wanted a new adventure? Uh, personalities. Uh, there was uh, a change in command. Uh, see, that's – I just heard uh, a statistic. I don't even know where this is, so it may not be true. But uh, 70% of people who quit a job quit not because they don't like the job, but because they don't like uh, the boss. That's exactly right. I think, <laughs> I think I could have told you that without statistics. <laughs> I mean well, I was in the same boat. I worked at Comcast uh briefly and uh it didn't didn't work out mostly because uh, of culture fit and uh a boss that I did not get along with.
0: Yeah. It's it's turned out eventually that I don't think I'll ever be able to get a job again because I'm I don't fit well into uh offices or uh I work well in teams as long as I'm in charge <laughs> i'm not really a, I'm not a good employee anymore
1: well this it's good that you know this My wife was uh it's very similar she had an office job that she hated uh just because she just hates going to an office and being kind of stuck at a cubicle doing stuff and she's much happier now that she is uh you know the master of her her time and can spend, you know, time in the kitchen because she's a food writer. So she needs to cook stuff, research Uh, her cookbooks. Exactly.
0: Yeah. um, I was just thinking something related to that, but I lost it Um, because I am seriously low on sleep and, and sick right now. So um, (laughs) with that said, I'm going to go ahead and touch on our first sponsor here. Um, So if you enjoy design or creating unique things, uh, this next sponsor is definitely for you. It's called SnapTee, and it's an awesome tool that helps you create one-of-a-kind t-shirts with virtually any design you want. Uh, SnapTee has endless options to choose from, and you can import your own designs to use. Besides being a tool to create shirts yourself, SnapTee also works as an app where you can follow your favorite artists and buy their designs. Uh, you can even favorite certain designs and see what other see what designs other users have favorited, and uh, that makes it more of a uh, design community than just a design app. If you don't know where to start, you can get some inspiration from the millions of pre-designed t-shirts in the Snap Tea locker. Snap Tea is free to use. Uh, Just go over to uh, www.snapt.co slash get app or download the app itself from the App Store or the Google Play Store. Uh, Here's the best part. When you purchase your own masterpiece, be sure to enter 5x5 systematic at checkout and uh, you'll get 10% off your purchase, including sweatshirts. no. I said that last time I it's excluding sweatshirts. You don't get sweatshirts for 10% off. But you can get everything else for 10% off. Um so go download Snaptee and start creating your new favorite shirt. It's so easy that you can even do it while you're listening to this podcast. So, all right, where are we? We're at wow, We're at 20 minutes. I I'm sick enough that I thought it was way longer than that. <laughs> or I am uh, boring you to death. Let's talk about something not boring. Oh, all right. How about you, you, how about Star Trek and podcasting combined.
1: They're not boring at all. You do those. You you combine those. I do combine them in my my podcast Random Trek. So, what let's start with uh Star Trek. What I loved Star Trek as a kid. Like
0: I, I up until I think I think Deep Space 9 is where I fell off. But it didn't that's, change my opinion of everything prior. Uh, from the very beginning, I was fascinated with Roddenberry's kind of comment on uh, like society through futurist ideas. Like, well, that's, I think, what, that's all sci
1: fi to me. Yeah, I, I was going to say the best science fiction is rooted in the time that it is uh, created in and reflects the, the society's morals and comments on societal issues. And Star Trek, uh, in all of its incarnations, has done that. Uh, probably most striking in the original series, but certainly the next generation, Team Space yeah, Nine. Most obvious in the original. See, I feel like well, they got more uh, nuanced about it by the like TNG years. Well, maybe season three of TNG. Yes, the first two seasons were a little bit uh, obvious as well with their their moral <laughs> uh, morals and you know telling people to be nice and because you know the first couple seasons of the Next Generation were very much influenced by Gene Roddenberry uh, and Gene Roddenberry has th- had this vision that the future is a place where there's very little conflict uh, because you know there's no money, uh, everybody has everything that they need. And the people are explorers and wants to find out things about the universe and help people. And these are all great things. Um, but the problem is, without conflict, you have very boring stories. Yeah. And, and so that's why the first two seasons of The Next Generation, while have some good episodes in it, are kind of boring to watch. <laughs> As an aside, I watched Chef recently.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you, have you seen that movie? I have not. It's uh it's a charming movie, well acted, well written, well shot, but it had very little conflict. Like once the ball got rolling and the like the actual story started, it was mm-hmm. just an easy ride all the way to the end and it
1: ended and I I, I felt empty. <laughs> well, see that's the problem. I mean there's nothing if and conflict can take many forms, so it it could be a character grows, a character has some kind of difficulty Uh, meet some kind of physical or mental challenge or there's actual conflict where people are, you know, not not agreeing and they need to figure something out. Uh, If you take all of that out of a story, you can tell a very pleasant story, but generally, it's not going to be very interesting.
0: Right. Yeah, I I wouldn't call that a story. To me, like, a story has a very specific set of requirements, including a hook and, you know, uh, exposition and all of the things that they teach about in school that I, I
1: forget, but <laughs> well, certainly successful stories and engaging stories have that. There are uh, kind of literary, literary genres of kind of like the Shaggy Dog stories that, in fact, have no plot uh, and they're just kind of uh, a gathering of anecdotes and a character kind of just floats around, uh, which can be amusing uh, in themselves. But I enjoyed Naked Lunch. Well, see, there you go. <laughs> so that's a very that's a particular kind of story. Yeah. Star Trek is not naked lunch. (laughs) No. uh, This idea of like sci fi
0: as social commentary is, I'm obviously not alone in that. Um, There's probably a whole, like, I don't know what, a a compendium of studies (laughs) on that. But I am sure. It was, I didn't realize as a kid that I was, you know, seeing interpretations of modern society in different settings. But when I started reading Ray Bradbury, that's when, like, his, like, the short stories that he did were very much, like, moral lessons set in fantasy kind of settings. Martian Chronicles, like, all those stories had a moral about his current world. And it was obvious, but it was, it
1: wasn't annoying. <laughs> And plus with Ray Bradbury, you get the added bonus of uh, him being a brilliant writer. So, yeah. so I mean, the, the prose themselves are just wonderful to read. Yes. Uh, and so that helps with the whole, you know, he, he can deliver this, uh, this moral or, you know, this little lesson to you uh, in a, an effective way because he's a fantastic writer. Uh, and you could you know basically read whatever he writes because that's how good he is. Some sci-fi...
0: Uh, And we'll get back to Star Trek, I promise. But some sci-fi starts with like a basic kind of like we're we're addressing a problem that exists now, but this is how they'll do it in the future. And they then they just go off on kind of this uh, like just random. This is the future without any association, without any anchor in what people already understand. I hate watching those of the movies. (sighs) I've never read a book like that.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, there are so there are some writers who are thinking about what humanity will be like, you know, after the singularity, and you know what happens in to society three thousand years from now. Um, and you get things that are human characters who seem alien because society is so different. And that is the goal of the writer is to you know hopefully make this alien civilization that they have posited uh relatable in some way um sometimes they they fail sometimes they don't uh i'm thinking of uh what is it 20 no 3213 maybe i can't remember the name of it uh uh nominated for the hugo either last year or the year before um that kind of did this, um, imagined what was going to happen, and you know how society's changed, and people there are different genders and uh, you know everything is different and it It worked for me, but I talked to some other people who just could not connect to it because it was so far removed from uh, their their experiences, so they didn 't get anything out of it and I think that's you it sounds to me like you 're a, a reader and consumer of science fiction. Who gets? uh, Who looks for the the connection to the present day and gets the most out of that? So you may not want to go into that genre.
0: (laughs) There's there's like um once I've been successfully introduced into a world, you know, from a something I relate to, like Dune. Like by the time you get to book seven, there's very little association with anything that's recognizable. your first mistake is
1: reading past the first book of Dune.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I actually really enjoyed the whole series. I was young, but what? I had fun. Like, it was a world that I became absorbed in. It Like, it was really, Herbert did the whole encyclopedia thing, the whole Tolkien style, like, mm-hmm. planned out the whole world before he started writing. And it became believable enough to me that actually, like, despite, like, you know, side stories of heartbreak and politics and all of this. I stayed very interested. I, the last one lost me, but then I I found, then I found the,
1: the Lazarus incident Mm -hmm. and I, my love was back. (laughs) Well, you're, you're the, one of the only people I've ever spoken to who has enjoyed all the subsequent. I mean, I think Dune is a masterpiece. Uh, and I think each book afterward is less and less, uh, of an interesting book. Um, but I mixed the two together.
0: It's the Jesus incident and the Lazarus effect, but they were good. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I've never talked to anyone else who had, had ever read maybe past book three, usually not past book one. I I don't know. I still have them all on my bookshelf. Oh,
1: I'm pretty sure I read the first three or four. Uh, and then I stopped.
0: I gave up. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I probably would. T- I haven't finished a book in years, so I definitely <laughs> would today. Um, Let's see. So, okay, so. Star Trek, and then we'll work our way back to what you're doing with Star Trek today. Uh, What is it about Star Trek that continues to fascinate you?
1: You know, like you're rewatching episodes, obviously, because that's what your podcast is about. Yes, and I've I've watched. uh, I would say that I've watched almost every episode of Star Trek that exists at least once. Uh, There are some shows like Enterprise I didn't really get into, so there are a couple seasons that I've missed. And Voyager might be a season or two that I haven't seen. Uh, But overall, I I can continue to watch them and watch them over and over again just because – well, A, even though earlier I said that Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future makes for boring stories, I do think it's a compelling vision. And I would like to think that humanity – it's a hopeful future, right? Which is always nice. Uh, And I like to think that – Humanity is smart enough that we will not kill ourselves and we will eventually at some point venture out into the universe uh, as explorers and not as warriors. So that's something that uh, I like. Uh, I also like the characters a lot. Uh, And so for me, it's all about the characters and how they interplay and getting to know them. Uh, And I like spaceships. (laughs) So there are plenty of spaceships. Um,
0: How do you feel about the fact that we might not make it off this planet before we destroy it humanity could end relatively soon
1: it is a depressing uh reality that could could happen and uh, it makes me sad i have no uh, like personal survival
0: instinct like I, i'm horrible to myself <laughs> but the idea of humanity ending and all of our like collective accomplishments disappearing scares me like i i I want to get to Mars. I don't care if it's me. I want humanity out of here so that, you know, when everything burns or implodes or the asteroid hits, we, we have a backup. Something's, yeah,
1: preserved. Yeah, I, I think I am simultaneously happy that I am alive in the time I am now because we as a species know more than we ever have. But at the same time, I am also horrified by the time I live in because there seems to be a segment of society that rejects all knowledge that we have and kind of has fallen back to superstition. Uh, and that makes me sad and uh, it makes me worry about the future of humanity uh, when people are fighting over whether global warming is a thing uh, Ebola, people are going crazy about Ebola, uh, and certainly that's a problem in uh, Africa, uh, but here in America, it's not going to be a huge problem, uh, because we know the science kind of bears out that we can handle this, uh, and we can even help the people in Africa handle it, and there are clear solutions to the problems, uh, and yet we have hysteria instead of reason.
0: Well, you can have as many credible people as you want explain things to the US, but nothing is louder than the talking heads in the media. I know. Like you can't you can't change someone's mind once they've heard like
1: lies from someone they have decided to trust. It's true, and I, I am mean, not, not a political person, so I think that uh, both sides of the talking head cable industry are doing a disservice to this country and, and making people believe insane things uh, that no reasonable person should.
0: I, I, would, I agree, okay? I am uh, clearly a liberal, and I am very political, and I would argue for hours... That the liberal side presents facts with opinions and with bias, but the True. conservative side, with a couple of very particular networks in
1: mind, present actual <laughs> lies, like actual falsehoods, as truth. Yes, but uh, I – so I'm assuming – I'm just going to assume that I know what network you're talking about uh, in particular. Uh, And one of the best things I saw in America about the Ebola crisis uh, came from that network uh, when the anchor uh, Matt Shepard, I think maybe, was like, listen, you don't have to worry about Ebola in America. It is a serious issue, yes, but you're not going to die from Ebola, people. Do not freak out. He probably took Uh, a pay cut for that. to be uh, very nice and true. Um, But yeah, I think that – and this is the other thing that drives me crazy uh, that's related. It's this whole – and this is not a new idea that I have come up with, but uh, the whole kind of extremism of everything now in our society uh, where it's either uh, you're right or you're wrong – and there's no in-between. Like, we cannot, we can't compromise. Compromise means a weakness. Uh, so we can't meet in the middle and get things done. You either have to agree with me or uh, I'm going to do nothing.
0: That and is think- that is the way it looks. I mean, obviously, we know that there are people everywhere around us that are perfectly reasonable. Willing to listen to arguments, change their opinions in light of new facts. Like, I think a lot of America is actually like that. But the 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 two extremes battle so much and so loudly that it feels like we're living
1: in a world where there are no compromises anymore. And I think this, this feeds into what we were talking about uh, with the first couple of seasons of star Trek, star Trek next generation actually, because uh, conflict is entertaining, right? And so the best way to get conflict and that's what, you know, these news and media people are, uh, you know, Obviously, they want to inform people. Hopefully, I'm being uh, you know, maybe a little Pollyanna in that. <laughs> I'd like to think they want to inform people, but they also need to get ratings and entertain people. Uh, and so that's why you get like, you know, 15 floating heads on one screen and they're all yelling at each <laughs> other. And they all have different opinions because people like to watch other people argue. That th- Those are the worst,
0: like, news segments I've ever seen.
1: You don't learn anything. Nobody gets their point across. You're just hearing uh, just a, you battle yeah, royale. Disagree. And they're never going to change their mind because that's their that's why they're on because they will never change their mind. So the original Star
0: Trek, like Captain Kirk, Mm -hmm. they it seems to me like if you look at their cast and their topics in context of the time that it first aired, they were actually going for a little bit of shock factor, trying to make people uncomfortable with things that were at the time taboo, but telling them that the future, you know, a black woman could hold a high ranking position you know, in a community of a very mixed species. And I, I, I don't know if the later, ver- the later parts of the series or, you know, episode, what, what am I, what do you call that? What's the difference between what? Voyager and deep space nine? Well, you could call them either series or franchises. Okay. We'll call them series Cause franchise sounds oddly capitalist. <laughs> um, but w- Do, did they continue that kind of outspoken political statement in the later ones? Uh,
1: as you were saying that I was thinking about that there has been no kind of the obvious thing, like in our current society, although uh, maybe a couple of years late would be uh, a gay character or uh, a transgender character. Or just an approach of homosexuality in general. Right, exactly. And that has never happened on Star Trek. Uh, uh, maybe it will if there's another Star Trek uh, series brewing somewhere out there. Uh, but I think, yeah, they they kind of have stuck with casting in particular. Uh, they cast more women, so that's good. Uh, the first if, if you watch the original series now, which I, I do, uh, you do have to watch it and think of it in context of the time it was uh, made because if you're watching it with our current cultural values, it's an incredibly sexist show. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> was
0: he uh, was kind of brutal. Yeah,
1: he, he was. But if it, and this blows my mind even more, if you think about it, for for the '60s, it was super progressive. Yeah, uh, and so it, it's crazy how much our society has changed in just a short amount of time. Uh, and I think the same is true. Uh, I think Star Trek has never shied away from kind of addressing big societal issues. Um, but from a cast member perspective, they have, like, homosexuality and that kind of thing. They have avoided that uh, completely, which is kind of a disappointment. Kind of, yeah. It feels, yeah, like the original kind of mission
0: statement has changed. But anyway, so you you do a podcast about, like, single episodes of Star Trek at a time. And you talk about, with a guest, about mm-hmm. just one episode.
1: Yes. On its own, and it's a random episode. I have a list, uh, a spreadsheet. Uh, when I first uh, came up with this idea, I didn't think anyone would be interested in the process of how the random episode was picked. Uh, but I didn't think about the kind of people who like Star Trek, myself included, uh, are are interested in the geekier details. Uh, And and sadly, I feel like the answer that I give them is always disappointing because basically it's a spreadsheet and then I go to the random.org and get a random number and then that's the episode. It's not very uh, advanced. Um, If I were you, Brett, I'm sure I'd have some kind of weird, not weird, but fancy command line script thing that would do something automatically and open all kinds of stuff. What I'm thinking is actually a text (laughs) expander snippet. So when you go to write the
0: email to invite someone, it can reference a database and uh, in, insert the link and the episode information and then uh, remove that line from the database. And then you wouldn't even have to, it would just be part
1: of writing the email. See, that's brilliant. I, I had never even considered that. I'll do that for you. <laughs> well, I will use it if you do. I do like text <laughs> Uh And so, yeah, I mean, the idea is we watch a random episode of Star Trek and then we talk about it. Uh, and I think it's fun because it. there are other podcasts out there that do uh, talk about each episode chronologically, uh, which, you know, is a good approach, but I like the random idea of you never know what you're going to get, uh, and there are lots of great episodes of Star Trek, there are lots of awful episodes of Star Trek, uh, and so it's fun to, you know, talk about Voyager, and then Next Generation, and then Deep Space Nine, and and who knows what you're going to get.
0: Did the uh, Did the later series after i kind of stopped watching religiously did they Mm -hmm. uh did they start to build more of a like story because like tng and and the first the original star trek basically every episode was more or less capsulized yes and like the character there was no long-term plot development
1: yeah and there was little character development long-term as well uh, and so that's especially true of the original series. They tried to do it a little in the next generation with the cliffhanger, two-parter kind of things. Well, and Data uh, evolved over that series. Data did. That's true. Uh, and I guess Geordie may have evolved a little because, you know, he fell in love with Hologram and he was right. dealing with all kinds of things. But um, uh, Deep Space Nine, you stopped watching Deep Space Nine, but yeah. Deep Space Nine is my favorite series, mostly because it has these huge... Uh, story arcs and intricate plot details, and the characters all really grow and go through different journeys. Uh, Voyager also has uh, similar uh, to a smaller scale uh, story arcs um, and oddly enough, Enterprise, which is the most recent Star Trek and the one you would think, given the the way the TV industry is going with these kind of uh, intricate, elaborately told stories over many seasons, didn't really do it. They tried. Uh, And kind of came up with a super lame one for the first couple of seasons. Uh, And then by the third and fourth season, few people cared. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's... Why try if you're not going to do it right? Exactly.
1: And I will say the the fourth season of Enterprise is pretty good because they knew it was the last season. And so they started just really (laughs) star trekking it up. Uh, (laughs) But before then... Uh, they were trying to basically appeal to a broad audience. And they were so they to wanted milk to milk it for more, more uh, viewers and money. Exactly. And that just ended up with uh, a show that nobody, the, the people who weren't interested in Star Trek didn't want to watch. And people who love Star Trek were annoyed with because it wasn't really Star Trek enough. <laughs> so do you like podcasting? <laughs> uh, I do like podcasting. Uh, I have some strong opinions about podcasts in general. Um, but I, I like podcasting. I think it's it's fun. I think that there are a lot of podcasts that are way too long. I don't know if you agree with me on this or not.
0: I've been seriously considering making the standard systematic shorter. I, I, I don't... I've, I've talked about how I don't listen to a lot of podcasts in general. Mm-hmm. And if I do, if I'm looking at potential podcasts to listen to, a half-hour podcast seems like something I can do in the time I have. I don't have a commute. You know, I I, listening, opening up an hour long podcast feels imposing to me. Like it's uh, it's a task, a chore. I have to get through an hour of this, (laughs) even if it's fun. A half hour, I think, yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody. And obviously some people are going to want to listen to longer podcasts, but I think there's a serious... Segment of the podcast audience that would appreciate something they could get through in thirty minutes
1: I, I I totally agree, which is why I have for my own podcast, I have a hard limit to it 's no longer than the episode of star trek we 're talking about, uh, which is about forty five minutes uh, and I think also podcasting listening habits i 'm sure are highly situational, so if you have like an hour long commute and an hour long podcast is great. Uh, I imagine. I don't have an hour-long commute. I have like a 15-minute commute. Uh, and so these like three-hour podcasts, uh, I can't imagine anyone wanting to listen to a three-hour podcast, but uh, I don't know. I see a lot of podcasts that are getting longer and longer and longer. Uh, so either they don't care about their listenership or people really want super long podcasts. <laughs> or or
0: all that matters is that people downloaded it, not that they finished it. <laughs> Well, that could be another thing because then there's the whole world of like the current state of pod uh, podcast advertising and sponsors, and we I won't go into detail, but the things have changed. Like people view a podcast differently than they used to, and it's uh, it's getting frustrating.
1: Well, and I think that the the main and this is a, a problem with uh, like internet advertising as well that the newspapers faced, right? Because before. All these analytics uh, that they have, uh, newspapers could basically say, "Yeah, we reach you know five million people and set the advertising that way." Uh, but now advertisers for online stuff can know exactly how many people clicked on the ad, who the who it was, and or at least kind of some demographics about uh, who it was based on cookie stuff. If if you don't block any of that stuff, uh, and so they have this this very fine grain control and analytics, so they can say, "Okay, well." You have a potential audience of five million people, but only three people actually I look for this ad. So I'm not paying you, you know, whatever, $20,000, you get four cents uh, and then newspapers go to business.
0: <laughs> that That's, it, the, the podcast world seems to have fewer analytics. Uh, they, yes. they, it relies heavily on sheer numbers, like the old newspaper industry.
1: Exactly. So there, there's only one number really that counts at the moment. And that is how many downloads it is. It's right. not how many people listen. Or, uh, like you said, it's how many people download it.
0: And demographics should matter more, but they're not trackable right now.
1: Right, exactly. So no one knows. So you could theoretically have a hit podcast. and Now, I'm not suggesting anyone do this, but you could have a hit podcast by, you know, creating like a, a, an instance in AWS of, you know, thousands of nodes that just download a podcast. <laughs> I'm sure no one's doing that. Hopefully. No, I- uh, but uh, you could. <laughs> I would
0: never. Um, all right. Well, yeah, that that could lead into the whole topic of, of tech blogging and uh, the industry in general. But we're out of time for the chit-chat. So um, we're going to do the top three
1: picks. Oh, man. The chit-chat went by so quickly.
0: It really actually did. <laughs> it, at first, I thought we were over time, and, and now we're – yeah. Um, I am – I'm not managing things well. I have poor time management today. I slept I until to... noon today. You should be full of vim and vigor. I went to bed at 4. Oh,
1: well, maybe not.
0: <laughs> yeah, No, I'm all messed up. Like, I never slept that late. Even when I've been up late, I've never slept past like 10 if I went to bed at 4 a.m.
1: Man, I, I got to tell you something. I love sleeping until noon. I can go to bed at like 10 p.m. and sleep until noon the next day. I love it. Wow. I, I, I've, yeah. I've never been able to, I get up
0: between four and 7 a.m. That's, that's craziness.
1: That that's just naturally, me. do you have to sit in the Yeah, lawn?
0: No, I just, I wake up and I can't stay in bed. I, I pop up wide awake. Um, especially if there's the, a sun has come up, but even in the winter I do that. Um,
1: I wish I was like that, but I can, I can, I wish I was like you, <laughs> but I do this love we always mornings. want what we don't have. You love the mornings. Yeah. Cause everyone else is sleeping. Well, uh, me too. I, I'm so that's why you're so productive. I'm sleeping for another and for four hours. You're you're creating scripts and doing all kinds of things and having your Mac do wacky things, and I'm dreaming about Star Trek.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I, I I'm jealous
0: to some extent. I think everyone you know, it's a grass greener, other side thing. All right. So you uh you you're gonna do your first pick first, and
1: we'll go round robin. All right. Well, then I will pick. Uh, I love to read. Uh, so I'm going to pick a book that I just wrote, uh, not that I just wrote, that I just read, uh, called Broken Monsters, which it's a, a novel by uh, a writer named Lauren Bukes. Um, and it is set in Detroit, and it's kind of this uh, supernatural, uh, magical realism, horror novel, uh, and it tracks the story of this detective that's, you know, this these weird things are happening. People are getting killed in very strange ways. Uh, And this detective has to figure it out. And there are a bunch of characters. And it's set in kind of the the ruinous Detroit, uh, which is kind of a character in the book as well. And Lauren Bukes is a great writer. She wrote uh, The Shining Girls, which is a a book about a time-traveling serial killer, which is great. Uh, So check that out. Nice.
0: Um, I started uh, reading a sci-fi book recently that I purchased a long time ago on my iPad. And I have been really into the story. And really enjoying the writing, but I forgot the name of it. Like, I haven't even gone. It was just open on my iPad when I went into iBooks, so I started reading it. And I don't even know what it is or who it's by. That's weird.
1: What What is it about? I wonder if I can identify
0: it. Let's see. It's uh, like a teenage. Uh, it seems like they're in Japan. It's a teenage girl in Japan, and they have, uh like, oh, there's a word they keep using. Something The glass is a specific type of glass. And it's kind of a cyberpunk kind of setting. And <clears throat> I haven't gotten far enough to know what the plot is. It's all observation right now. Um yeah, it's, not, it's not the wind up girl, is it? I don't even know if I know if you told me. Oh. Uh, I, like, well, I I haven't seen the title of it for a year and forgot I bought it and <laughs> it's the the point though is that I, it's been it's been hard for me to get into new authors. Like Mm. Like to me, like Gibson and Sterling and and Roddenberry and all of these things within the sci fi genre, uh-huh. th- those were my heroes, and everything else seems, at first glance, to be hollow to me. And I'm just now getting to a point where I'm willing to accept that maybe some really great
1: stuff has been written since then uh since like the 60s (laughs) yeah well yes i'm here to tell you yes some great stuff has been written in the last 50
0: years in middle school i decided i was going to read every book on the list of classics from a specific i don't it was like new york times or something and i did and to me it was more important to start at the beginning chronologically (laughs) yeah like Mm -hmm. this is you know this is the stuff that every writer today read before they get to where they are And so I started working my way up and like, I've never been good with modern, like current day writing. I wait until something is archived as a classic. (laughs) Weird. Okay. Anyway, my first pick is a new app for iOS 8 called Clips. And it is basically a clipboard manager for your iPhone or your iPad. And you can uh copy multiple things into a very like there's a extension and there's a keyboard and there's uh what the like notification center thing I forget all the terminology cuz I've been really out of iOS but widget yeah widget so you can access all of these clips in the order you copied them in any application and then so so you can go to like five different web pages and uh a couple RSS articles and copy stuff for you know, a poster writing and then go into like editorial and just paste everything in there without having to go back and forth at all. It's pretty cool. It's a really good
1: idea. That is a good idea. I feel like you would be uh, sad to know how I use my iPhone. So I'm not going to tell you, but would you be sad to know that I barely use my i i, I- iOS devices? Uh, I would not. So now I feel all right. I love my iPhone. And I basically, I mean, there are all these apps that people always Mm -hmm. talk about, but I really don't. I use uh, the email, obviously. Uh, I install Chrome because I don't like Safari. Uh, And I use TweetBot. And uh, pretty much 95% of my iPhone usage is those three applications.
0: Add uh, add Facebook and games. Oh, and one
1: password. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, with, with Facebook and games added onto that list, that's my phone. Like I have, I try every app that comes out. I know all about them, but when it comes to using them, I'm not a mobile person. And most of the time I can get stuff done faster at my Mac, which is most of my life always there. So I'm not like an avid, I don't write on my iPad. I'm impressed with like the and the way he writes an entire huge blog pretty much on his iPad.
1: And it's amazing to me. And he has crazy stuff going on. Yeah, And I, I, I'm glad to hear that because I, I hardly use my iPad at all because uh, anything that I want to do on my iPad that might be complex is easy, more easily done on my Mac. So I just do it on my Mac. And you, you're and a big if, Kindle fan too. I am a big Kindle. So if I'm reading, I'm reading on my Kindle. Uh, and if uh, I want to do some web browsing, I have a 6 Plus, which is big enough now. So I just use my iPhone. Nice. All right. So your second pick. My second pick, uh, I am a big Kindle fan. My second pick, the Kindle Voyage, which is the latest high-end fancy pants Kindle from E-Ink Kindle, I should say, from Amazon. Uh it's got a backlit screen, a glass front, there's no more bezel. Uh well, I shouldn't say that. It's not uh, uh there's no like cavity uh extended or or raised bezel. Uh No beveled bezel? Yes, there you go. Uh and it's got uh most importantly, it's got Uh, not really buttons, but uh, pressure points that let you change the page without having to tap on the screen and move your thumb. Uh, And it has a fantastic display, so uh, it's a fantastic thing.
0: Yeah, that was another topic I was interested in is why you uh, prefer the Kindle. Um, we'll, We'll have to talk about that sometime because I've been reading in bed on my iPad as I make an effort to consume more media. And Mm -hmm. it's not my favorite way to read. It is. uh, I just find the iPad interface to not be the most comfortable when I'm laying on my side, falling asleep.
1: I have a lot of opinions about reading on the iPad. Uh, I think that it is my main problem. Well, the true problem, the iPad. It's getting lighter, but it's still pretty heavy. Uh, I I think the the actual light from the screen uh, is too harsh. Uh, which is a, a nitpick, you get used to that. Uh, my other problem, and the main issue I have with reading an iPad or any tablet, uh, is the fact that so many other things are happening on that tablet. So you get notifications, uh, Twitter is right there. Uh, there are so many distractions. I like the fact that I have a Kindle, and what it does is it shows me books, and that's all it does. I, don't, I can't check Twitter, I can't look at Facebook. Uh, I just get absorbed into the story. Uh, that's sure. my main reason. Okay. Yeah. It would be fun to talk at length
0: sometime. Um, All right. Second pick. Yours. Oh, wait. No, you just did. Yeah, that's how tired I am. All right. So my second pick is uh, a new app that I'll tell you in a second why it's not a good pick. But it's called Rightful. uh, W-R-I-T-E-F-U-L-L. And it's a great idea that I'm not in love with the actual results of. But I, I, I think if more people check it out and and offer some feedback, I think this could be really awesome. What it does is basically it's like pop clip for writers. You you select text in any application and it pops up and it will show you things like uh, the the phrase you have selected in context on every article in Wikipedia, like where it appears most often. It'll tell you. Uh, synonyms for the word that you have two stars around or replacement, like suggested replacements and rewrites. And it's basically advanced writing tools based on web services right at your fingertips in any application. And uh, I, I love the idea, Uh, but to, to get like the full, there's a subscription plan for, because they're paying for API hits, I assume. Um, Uh but overall even the free version it lacks uh actual you not usefulness so much as uh, accuracy i guess so i i don't know i'm hoping to see it really evolve into its uh
1: its stated potential so that's like a that's a provisional recommendation yeah it's yeah. got growth
0: keep an eye on
1: that that's right get in on the basement the ground level <laughs> It might be good soon. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number three for you. Uh, I'm going to pick a piece of technology that has changed my life, uh, which is the Fitbit 1 and previously the Fitbit. I am now – I've had a Fitbit for maybe three years, and I am completely obsessed with it. Uh, And so many nights you will find me walking around my dining room table in circles until I get to 10,000 steps uh, because I am obsessed with it. I was doing that for a while. Like I have a Fitbit,
0: I think it's the one that I keep it in my pocket. I still keep it in my pocket, even though I stopped tracking goals. <laughs> I I I really enjoyed it, but something changed in my life where I got lazy. It comes in phases. Uh, where the I mean, if anything has ever motivated me to want to walk ten thousand steps in a day, it's the Fitbit.
1: Yeah, it's it's magical. And when I got it the first time, I thought to myself. I walk around a lot, so I probably just get 10,000 steps on my everyday life. Uh, And then I got a Fitbit, and I was like, oh, I don't move at all, do I? (laughs) I'm a giant slug. Uh, And now I walk around like crazy. So Nice. Well,
0: hopefully I'll get back to it. Hopefully I'll not let my Fitbit die for two, three days at a time and not notice. All right. Um, My last pick is an iOS app called Figure. And it's a simple little music generation app from propeller head makes make some great uh, music apps. And it, it gives you a series of drum machines and uh, bass and lead sounds and a sequencer, a very simple, like you set, you know, four, eight, 16 bars and it starts looping and you hit record and you can start doing multi-track sampling with the, the instruments they provide, which have very limited settings and there's a very limited number of them, but it's a really fun, I, I, I play with it laying in bed. I, it's not something I would actually use for recording on an album, but it's a really fun toy. I don't know if have anyone no does that. But, yeah, but you could with this. Like, it's, like You can set the controls to a given scale, and no matter what key you hit, it's going to work. And it'll quantize as you record. And it's super easy. Like anyone, and you can set like on the hi hat, you can set a, a rhythm pattern and just hold the button down. <laughs> it takes like no effort, but it's something new every time. So you might find you have more abilities than you think. Or my phone does at least. <laughs> Technology. All right. That's crazy. Well, let's tell people where they can find you. Uh, you're on the web at blankbaby.com, right? I am. And you're on and you Twitter get, at Blank Baby. That is true. Anywhere else you want to talk about? Oh, uh, Random Trek. I'll link that. That's our Sure, if you go notes. to
1: randomtrek.com.
0: And I don't know. Do you have like a, I suppose BlankBaby.com
1: has m- most of your... It has all. All the things are on BlankBaby.com. All your Scott McNulty needs can be met at BlankBaby.com. Awesome. Oh, <laughs> Total Party Kill. Who was talking... Oh, that was uh, Jason Snell, wasn't it? Yes. Total Part to Kill. That yeah. is another podcast. I'm also obsessed with D&D, so I, I didn't bring that up, but I love D&D. Yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. That is.
0: All right. <laughs> I won't get into it. Um, let's see. And I am at brettherpshire.com. I'm scoff everywhere else. And uh, it, go leave iTunes reviews, not just for me, but for all of your favorite podcasts and your favorite apps. Pick pick the things you listen to and use the most and go leave iTunes reviews because it makes a big difference for developers and podcasters. So that's my, my PSA for the day <laughs> and go, go, go say nice things about overtired. If you listen to it, because we need, we need proof that we have such wonderful listeners. All right. Um, it's, uh, it's been nice talking to you, Scott.
1: The pleasure has been
0: mine. We have a lot of, varying interests that both overlap and then cause conflict in ways that make pretty good stories or at least conversations it's true all right who knew you were so wrong on so many things (laughs) right on well um that is episode 120 thanks for being here scott thanks for having me and we'll talk to everybody in a week